19th century surgeon Dr James Barry is one of those characters you can't believe isn't better known. By all accounts, he was an excellent physician and an advocate for public health reform. He was also obsessive and argumentative, took part in several duels and liked to travel with a menagerie of animals. James was also a transgender man living in the straight-laced Victorian era. No wonder widely published poet Oscar Upperton saw enough here to write an entire collection about Dr Barry. It's called The Surgeon's Brain. Oscar's with us now. Tenakwe, Oscar. Oh, Kelda Lynn, how are you? I am very well and intrigued too. How and where did you come across James Barry's story? Uh, I think I had sort of heard kind of rumours about this guy and... Uh, in various places, but where he sort of sparked my interest was this uh, novel that was going to be published, I think, a couple of years ago. And there was this kind of uproar, I think, sort of mostly on Twitter um, about uh, the fact that he was being characterised in that book as a woman. And um, a lot of people were were quite upset that this sort of, this person who's seen as a, a really important person in transgender and transmasculine history uh, was sort of being um, reduced to his his gender at birth. And so I thought that was just really fascinating and I started reading about that and then I very quickly realised that um, his gender was really the least interesting thing <laughs> um, about him. And before I knew it, I uh, I had a book on my hands very quickly. The, the early poems looking in his first years, I mean, a very difficult relationship, for example, um, with, his, with his mother. But what do we know about those, those early years for James? Well, we don't know much. And, and one thing I should say is this is not an entirely non-fictional account um, because all, all we really know, for example, with his early years is that they were quite difficult um, economically speaking. So um, he grew up in Cork in Ireland Um, in an Irish Catholic family and um, his father lost a lot of income due to a a decree which um, forbade Catholics from having certain positions and the the family fell into debt um, and and really struggled and the father eventually abandoned abandoned the family and that's sort of all we know. Um, So, you know, I certainly did kind of fill in the gaps a bit with, you know, what I had learned about his later life and then sort of going back to, you know, what, what kind of child would make sense when you when you see the adult. Well, I mean, as you say, you had a whole book here. I mean, James' life was absolutely fascinating. You could swear it was fiction. <laughs> you didn't know. Yes. What, what aspects of this really rich, intriguing life of James um, most intrigued you? I think his relationships with other people was what I, I wanted to to dig into um, because he had a very solitary life. So there was no one, uh, you know, he didn't have, he wasn't married. He, um, he didn't sort of have uh, any lasting family relationships and he kind of flitted from powerful person to powerful person. Uh, And, and the reason for that was, was somewhat to um, increase his own status um, given that he basically came from nothing. Um, But also because he was constantly, um, having fights and duels and and being court-martialed and so on. So he he really needed those powerful friends. So focusing on that, and I think also in particular, this really fascinating relationship with Lord Charles Somerset, uh, who was uh, the uh, basically the ruler of um, the British colony in South Africa, where, where James Barry started his career. Um, so I, 
took what the historical record knew about that and and filled in a few of the blanks where where we really don't know exactly what happened. You have such a long and fascinating poem called Every Quarrel, <laughs> detailing oh, yeah. changes. I mean, it's, it's over several pages, <laughs> listeners, I have to say. It's absolutely fascinating. Have you thought about this? I mean, as you mentioned, several jewels. What, what, what was it about James that led him to quarrel so much? I think, I mean, I... I just kind of fell in love with him as I was writing about him. I mean, he was the kind of person who would be horrible to work with, you know, horrible to actually experience because he had incredibly strong views and there was never any backing down. Uh, and one example is when he was um, stationed on St. Helena and uh, put in charge of the health of the, the soldiers there and he felt their sugar ration was was too low. And this led to him being arrested because he refused to compromise on the amount of sugar that he thought the soldiers would be entitled to and I just think that's wonderful because you know he he had such such strong morals and he just refused to to ever give an inch um, and everything would escalate which is kind of wonderful to see from a from a great distance um terrible close up I, I imagine uh, that's also not every quarrel in that in that poem by oh the way goodness. I had to cut it down because it was it got to I don't know seven pages or something and I I thought at a certain point you've you've maybe done enough <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'd love you to read one of the poems, Oscar, if you would. Yes, um, sure. So I'll read one that was quite uh, early in the book. Uh, this is where uh, James has just just started at medical school um, in Edinburgh, uh, and it's called uh, Codename. A life needs rinsing out once in a while. I live in a river town now, a Scotch town and water runs through my house on April mornings. It isn't really my house, but my real name I wrote in the book by the door. The landlady watched my hand. I think she thought me illiterate. Small pleasure in proving her incorrect. My code name is a real name that anagrams to itself. Each letter denotes a number, which denotes a house in my hometown. The landlady asks if I'll need meals, and I say I will. The landlady asks if I'll give her trouble, and I say I will not. My window looks across the street into another window, where a woman teaches people to dance. Some early evenings I see graceful backs and necks turning in practice. I put my head down and write the names of neck bones onto paper. To sketch the bones of the hand requires the use of a hand, and to remember the names of the three membranes surrounding the brain requires functioning duromater, arachnoid mater, pia mater, tough mother, spider mother, tender mother. Three mothers, bones in my hands, a stack of books beside my bed. The tenant across the hall from me does not leave his room, and a bad smell emanates from his door. I sniff, trying to diagnose. I observe my landlady's gait and track the progression of her rheumatism. I open the front door, tough mother, and then the door to the stairs, spider mother, and then the door to my room, tender mother, and sleep, sleep. My name dreams of writing itself over the tidy buildings of the town, 
What will I do with this life that I have in honesty part stolen? Will I run through houses like an April flood? Will I keep my membrane cradled brain intact? The names of bones stacked like books within it. Oscar, thank you for that. All this time that you've spent imagining and thinking and researching James, uh, we talked before about how he had a he'd love to duel and love to argue and, and in your poem of an evening you have I'm not the kind of friend you'd want to befriend. So do you feel that James was lonely and was any of that loneliness to do with his sexuality? Yeah, I mean loneliness is what came across to me first, I think, when I when I began to learn more about his life. Um and you really have to to read pretty far in to, to start finding those connections that I think he did make with people. Um, but I think it's one of those things, you know, when you look back in history to queer lives and, and trans lives or gender diverse lives, there's, there's often this loneliness because it was this, this very unspoken thing. Um, and yeah, it is, it, it's, it's a sort of tricky balance because I didn't want to write a sad book. Um, and I think you can see his life as sad, but you can also see it as incredibly triumphant that he really just was himself, um, you know, sexuality or, or gender-wise, but also just personality-wise and in terms of what he what he thought was important. And I think there's a there's a happiness, but but also a loneliness in that, um, and and aspects of of his personality as well that you know push people away. I think, um, yeah. His medical achievements, regard you know, could need another interview in, its, in itself. But I'm, <laughs> I'm just thinking about the poem dissection. Um, Every book yes. on anatomy is written in blood. My hands are soaked in blood. My skin is sticky with it. I, I was really taken by that poem, also. So you must have, at the same time, done your own your own research into this. It feels like it's been a very encompassing project for you. Yeah, and it was, and that was sort of the the thing that was almost the most fun was learning about the medicine of the time. And I, you know, I have no medical or historical background. Um, so it's really just my take on it, but um, you know, learning that these, these young uh, men and, and they were all men uh, learning to be surgeons in Edinburgh were, um, you know, enrolling in these private classes where they could dissect bodies that were essentially from grave robbers um, and were transported uh, to Edinburgh, packed in salt, um, and and then um, dissected by these eager students who otherwise were not were not able to do that as part of their education. Um, you know, it's just it's just fascinating. Or you know that um, when he was treating uh, Lord Charles Somerset for typhus, and and one thing they did for typhoid sufferers was they would every night they would douse them in cold water with a watering can. That was you know that was part of the treatment to cool them down. Um, it's just amazing, um, you know, so just trying to pack as much of that in uh, as possible without sort of sinking the book into um, into a sort of an academic exercise. Um, that was really, really fun. And, and yeah, like you say, I just kind of dove right in because um, I couldn't really stop myself. It's remarkable, Oscar. Yamihi Nui, thank you so much. The Surgeon's Brain by Oscar Upperton is published by Te Heringa Waka University Press.